We hear the opening words then of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, taken from Matthew chapter 5. Seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. I can't live with or without you. So says you too. I don't want to belong to a club that will have me as a member. So said Groucho Marx. Whatever you do will be insignificant, but it is very important that you do it. Gandhi. I know one thing, and that is that I know nothing. Socrates. All of these statements have a paradoxical element to them, something that seems to contradict itself, a statement that seems to have an untruth uh, about the other part of the statement. St. Paul uses words of paradoxical nature when he talks about Christians, and he says, they have nothing and yet possess all things, that in this life often have little or nothing, and our hearts are not connected to the material things of this world, and yet, because of what we have in Christ in heaven, we possess all things. Paradoxical teachings are sprinkled throughout the Bible, uh, sometimes things that seem to almost contradict themselves, although in reality they really do not. And Jesus is, in his Sermon on the Mount, painting a picture of the characteristics and qualities of a person's heart who belongs to his kingdom of grace. And some of these have a real paradoxical quality to them, and we, we see that with the first one that we're going to look at today. To think that he starts with this, to describe his church, this is how Jesus starts to describe those who believe in him. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit, the Greek word there actually is extremely poor, extreme poverty. Now he's not talking about our physical wealth or even our, our, physical, our physical health or our our material blessings and worldly wealth, but he's talking about our spiritual condition, poor in spirit. And it's kind of a complete reversal of what we might expect. Uh, the way the world looks at religion is that, that man should try to lift himself up as high as possible and get as good as he can and, and try, to, try to be as spiritually the greatest person that he can, a religious-minded person, so that uh, so that we could be considered morally right in the eyes of God. And that's how the world's religion would, would instruct us, to try to reach higher at, at how good you can be as a person in the eyes of God. But Jesus begins by saying, no, it's exact opposite in the sense. You need to recognize and understand how not good and not right you are in the eyes of God. That's where things need to begin. It's as if he's saying to us, in my kingdom, the most highly religious, spiritually-minded person who is bound for heaven is well aware of just how undeserving he or she is of going to heaven and is troubled by his or her own sins, knows that he or she deserves hell, and recognizes that the only thing they have left is to plead for God's mercy. And it's interesting, if you look at Jesus' words, he doesn't say, he's not describing those who once were poor in spirit, but those who are poor in spirit. It's a present condition. 
a present condition of repentance. That's why Martin Luther, when he started the 95 Theses, the first one was that he said, when our Lord calls upon us to repentance, he means that the entire life of the Christian should be one of repentance and faith. Years ago, I was counseling a, a married couple with marriage problems who were not members of my church. had come to me for some help, and, and uh, they decided to come and see me one at a time. And I kind of asked the same questions to both of them. And one of them I asked to the man first. I said, what problems do you contribute to the troubles in your marriage? You know, what are things that you contribute toward the problems that are happening in your marriage? And he sat and he listed off quite a few of the weaknesses that he had and things and teared up a little bit while he was talking about that. He was sorry for a lot of it. A few days later, I met with his wife and I asked her the same question. I said, what do you contribute to the troubles and problems in your marriage? And she had to sit and think for a while and she finally said, I can't think of any. And then she said, I guess I could be better at showing my husband his faults. And I wanted to say, I think we found the problem. Christians in this world are often very bothered by the evil that we see in society when we look out the window, and it's, it's true. When we, when we think about some of the just crass immorality that takes place in our world, it's terrible. It's just awful. And we can shake our heads at it, and, and we should. We should rightly shake our heads at it. But before we keep looking out the window, God would have us look in the mirror and look down into my own conscience and my own heart and to realize all of my weaknesses and all of the, all of the things that I have done uh, to break God's commands. When people come into counsel with pastors, the pastor really cares little, I, I shouldn't say little, the, ca the pastor is not as concerned about what the actual sin committed was. Now, we certainly do care about that, but they're less concerned about what the sin was than they are about the person's, the condition of the person's heart that committed the sin. That's the real issue. That's the thing that often needs to be addressed. And we look for repentance because Christ would have us look for repentance. That's the sign, oddly enough, of spiritual health. Because the person that recognizes that spiritual death is lurking in his or her heart and is saddened by that, that's where spiritual life begins, and that's where it is to be found. King David said, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You see, sainthood is not found in, in realizing, or sainthood is found in realizing just how unsaintly you are. That's where Christ would have us begin. Think about, think about the scene where the woman was crying at Jesus' feet during a meal, and he was there with all these religious people, all of these Pharisees and teachers of the law. And if you just looked at that from the world's perspective of religion, you would not think of her as being the most religious person in the eyes of Christ. She was troubled by her sin. She, she realized how desperately she needed the forgiveness her Savior had given her. But where was Jesus' attention in that? Where, where did his heart get warmed in that situation? By looking at this woman who was so aware of her sin and clinging and holding on to him for his mercy and compassion. Jesus says that where this takes place in a person's heart, he says, they, uh, those people where this is happening, theirs is the kingdom of God. 
Now, now notice something there. He doesn't say theirs will be the kingdom of God. He's not just talking about your future home. Right now, where this takes place in our hearts by the Holy Spirit's work and where we grab onto Christ and love his forgiveness, theirs is the kingdom of God. Right now, you can claim heaven as your home. Not as a place you hope to go to someday. Yes, that's great too. But now, right now, the reality of that. And Jesus loves to see this in his believers, where the Holy Spirit has caused this work to take place. There's a strange story about Noah that we find after the ark story, and he gets off the ark, and he builds an altar to worship God. And not long after that, in the Genesis account, it says that Moses got drunk on some of the wine from his vineyard, and he's laying naked drunk in his tent. And his sons have to walk in with a cloth to pull it over him and cover him up. That's what your Lord Jesus has kind of done for you and me in our awful condition of our sin. He has taken his holy, perfect righteousness, his perfect, perfect report card before God, and he now drapes you with that by faith. He brings that and covers you. And it's only that covering of righteousness that he provides that gives you the status of being a saint before God. But you possess that even right now. Years ago, there was a pastor, an elderly retired pastor, that came to a conference I was at. And we were going around the room talking to some of the older men there and saying, what, what are regrets that you have from the ministry? And I remember his name was Martin Gulstead. He used to teach here at Bethany. And he started to cry. And he said, the one thing I regret is I didn't remind my people enough that they're saints. What a, what a wonderful thing we have from our Savior that because of his mercy and grace and his robe of righteousness, that we have a status of sainthood before God. And while you're here at Bethany, learn the art of knowledge and whatever discipline you're studying in, that's fantastic. And I hope and pray that takes you far in life. But when it comes to spiritual matters, learn the art of begging. Begging for God's mercy, and you will be exalted. Amen.